Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Stefan Molyneux. We are on our second call-in show for our lovely subscribe star supporters. Welcome, welcome, welcome. 22nd of March, 2020. Boy, there's a lot of twos and zeros floating around in that date. Uh, I guess it would be better if it was February, but uh, let's get straight into the topics. We have a variety of topics. For those who don't know how this works, we have a Discord server, which is a voice and text server for subscribe star supporters of Free Domain. And we have a particular channel there. There are a bunch of channels there. We have a particular channel, which is the call-in show, where you put your questions in, and then those get absorbed by me and, I guess, eventually by the community as a whole in these shows, and then that channel gets deleted every week, and we start fresh. So it's, I mean, i got to tell you guys, it's also really great having the call-in show back. It's uh, really nice. Scheduling those individual ones, which I guess I'll still do on occasion, was getting kind of messy and confusing, and there was lots of uh, delays and people getting frustrated. So the fact that we have a place to collect the questions a time to meet so far, and uh, I guess I won't ask everyone here because, but just let me know if there are other times. Uh, I'm pretty flexible if there are other times that you'd want. So this is, uh, I think this is great, and uh, it's one of the benefits, I guess, of some of the economic trials and tribulations I went through last year that it kind of pushed me in this direction, which is having a lot of unexpected or unanticipated benefits. So great. Now, I guess we don't have any particular, there's no hand-raising technology here that I know of, but um, I guess it's catch as catch can, grab grab the mic, and if you're not talking, if you could remain muted, that would be great. And um, generally, it's better if you have not push to talk, but voice activation, if you're the one communicating, because remembering to push to talk can be kind of challenging, especially if there's a lot of back and forth, so... I guess we'll just have to ask who wants to go first and wait to see who surges through the gate. Hey, Stefan, how are you? I have a short one, so I wouldn't mind going second because if somebody has a more dire question, that, that might is take very longer. civilized. Very civilized. All right, we have a second, and there was somebody who had a first. Hi, uh, I'm Aaron R. Hi, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Nice uh, to meet I'm you. doing, eh, you know, kind of woke up passive aggressive this morning. <laughs> Huh. Um, could you just lean in a bit to your mic? It's a little quiet. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, that's good. Okay, okay. Sorry about that. Um, mm-hmm. I had a question on the board. You want me to read it out loud? Yeah, yeah the way we could a, work, if you just read out the question, would be great. Yeah, more of a situation, really. Uh, hello, Stefan. It's been an emotionally turbulent week. Uh, on Monday, I had to convince my fiancé to postpone our wedding. After a day, she realized it was the right thing to do. But I can't seem to convince her to stay at home when she wants to get her hair done or go visit her immunocompromised family. We live in Alabama, and she doesn't think it's serious. Most people around here don't. I'm purposely staying home and burning my vacation time to do my part at suppressing this coronavirus. When I speak with her about going out, she says I just can't live like that. Uh, She works from home but has difficulty doing nothing. Just like everyone else, she has to be out in the yard. I've tried to explain how serious this is by comparing having a wedding to wiping out both our families. Uh, I'm not sure what else to do, and I worry about causing more strife between us. I uh, wish she would at least wear gloves or a mask or carry hand sanitizer wipes in her car, which would be adequate supply. Yeah, listen, so that that's a tough situation. I've had a whole bunch of emails about that. And um, could you convert to Islam? Um, if... <laughs> 
I believe that will give you a certain amount of authority that uh, might might resolve these issues. But of course, that would have to be a twofer. So let's let we'll put that one on the on the maybe pile uh, on the back burner. But so seriously, going to get her hair done. But since the wedding's canceled, this isn't. She's not going to get her hair done because of the wedding, right? No, it's. I don't. I'm not sure what her motivation is. Yeah, I'm. I'm never yeah. quite sure what goes on in women's hairdressing salons. I just know that it takes an enormous amount of time and it's incredibly stinky. That's the only thing that I really know what that goes on. There's some sort of alchemy, <laughs> some witch's brew uh, that results in unnaturally colored hair that uh, needs a huge amount of tending, like some hysterical ficus bush. But um, so I guess, I mean, the major question is, and this is to me a, a, a challenge about the relationship as a whole. The major question is, why does she dismiss your concerns? Okay, so this is actually very interesting. Um, I seem to, uh, well, I, I know for a fact that I've been diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. Um, ah, so you might have cried wolf a couple of times too many? Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> right, okay. Oh, yeah, that's... That's a, that's a hassle, right? So she's got a little bit, I don't know if you exactly say eye-rolling, but she's got a little bit of that stuff going on when it comes to your concerns? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's there's no question about that in my mind. And, and I, I can totally agree with what she's saying with regard to that because I really do worry about just about everything. Right. So. so what are some of the things that she's had to, I guess, quote, suffer through as the result of your GAD? Uh, commitment is one of them. Um, obviously I've been married before and I had a pretty, you know, divorces are always nasty. There's, it was amicable, but it was nasty, right? Like it just ripped me to shreds and, and I, I grew up through three divorces when I was a child. Oh God. So yeah. So I'm I'm so sorry, man. Generalized anxiety disorder. What you mean is generalized activity based upon divorce, (laughs) generalized mental activity, generalized anxiety based on divorce. That's your GAD. Yeah. Like just nothing's been consistent in my life. And I always feel like I have to try to control all situations instead of just, and I know I can't change other people. I've, I've learned that in the last, last two years, but I just have a very difficult time when I, I don't have any control over a situation and I just struggle with that. Well, so now, of course, you're in a situation where you have no control over a situation that you have genuine cause for anxiety, right? Right. And it's just, you know, like, that's why I decided to stay home. I mean, their their work is trying to be accommodating to that. But at the same time, it was like my choice. Like, See, I isn't this beautiful how free domain and philosophy has provoked or contributed to social distancing long before social distancing was cool. All you have to do is tell people the truth and you're immune from viruses. It's a magic shield. Um, right. Okay. Okay. So, so here's the thing. So when you find yourself repeatedly getting into situations that remind you of your childhood, it's usually because you haven't gotten angry enough. Boy, that, uh, I, can I, I like working with the, 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 you guys because it's like, we can just go straight to the meat of the muscle. Right. Um, so the anxiety is is obviously it's a fear-based response, right? And yeah. the fear-based response generally comes out of a situation of helplessness, right? I mean, if uh, if you see a raccoon coming towards you, 
you may sort of feel some nervousness, but you probably have a fair amount of confidence in your ability to handle the situation, right? Let's say it's a baby raccoon or something, or a squirrel, something. But if it's a giant timber wolf and you're in the middle of nowhere, you're going to have a whole different Liam Neeson-style response, right? So the anxiety comes out of a sense of helplessness. The helplessness comes out of your childhood. And the way that we combat helplessness is we get uh, we get angry. Now, there's a little tiny story I'll tell about my daughter. So we used to, when she was very little, like, I mean, like three, we used to play this game where I would pretend to be a sleeping dragon with like, I don't know, like cheap baubles and stuff like that under my belly. And she would have to come in and try and take the treasure without waking me up. And I would pretend to sleep and I would turn over and roll over on these little baubles, the fake jewelry and stuff like that. And she would come in and try and get them. And then at some point I would roar, wake up and chase her, right? <laughs> and it was, and she would go and hide in, in the corner in, in some room or something like that. And it was, it was really a, a great deal of fun. And we used to play that for quite some time. Now, we've, after we'd been playing this for a couple of months off and on, we were playing it. And one time I'm chasing her down the hallway. She turns and just cracks me one in the leg. I guess she was about maybe three and a half or so. And it was really cool because she was no longer running and hiding. She was turning and fighting. And this was not pre-planned. We hadn't talked about changing the game. She just made a decision when she was running down the hall to turn and, and crack me one. Now, it didn't hurt, of course. She was like three and a half. But we had a long conversation about that. Like, oh, wh- why did you change? You know, you used to run and hide. And she's like... I got tired of it. And that phrase, you know, she said, I got tired of it. I got tired of running and hiding. I wanted to turn and fight. Really, you know, it really struck me. And it really also struck me that she was, in a sense, programmed by nature to run and hide when she's that young. But I guess she felt in a secure enough environment, at least I hope so, that she turned and fought. And... She is a fighter and good because she's got that last name, right? So it's a good thing she's a it's a good thing she's a fighter. And so the reason I'm saying that is that if if this is any indication of general progress in a peacefully parented household, then it would probably be between the ages of three and four where this particular kind of anxiety might have taken root. Again, this is all just theoretical and I don't know for sure, but this is just sort of where my mind is. You know, sometimes my mind just drags me along like some hobo behind the truck of some evil Southern people or something. But so what was going on, if this is true, or if this is at least a valid place to start, what was going on in your life when you were sort of three or four years old? So uh, let me start before that. Um, When I was about 18 months old, my mom divorced my dad. And I had a brother who was special needs. Um, So he took a lot of care and attention. So at four, I believe I was living off, we were living off charity out of my uncle's house in a bad, bad neighborhood near Detroit. And my mom was working and I remember having a lot of babysitters. I remember a preschool. I, you know, I don't remember a whole lot from that, but I do remember that um, there wasn't a lot of adult attention in the household for me. So I, I, I think one of my biggest problems is I was neglected. That was probably the most significant 
remembrance of my childhood is that there was never enough time for me. So, and what sort of special needs you? Is it mental stuff you have with your brother? So when the doctors, you know, when my brother was born, they pulled him out head first with a pair of forceps and damaged his brain. And they broke his foot in the process of pulling him out. And oh when they God. put a cast on when they put a cast on his foot, they left it open toed, so his leg was stunted in growth. So he had seizure activity until he was about eighteen and he's got one foot that's a six and a half shoe size and one that's a ten. So Did he did his uh, mean, cognitive abilities survive the process? See, my mom and I argue about that, and I don't really talk to her anymore, uh, thanks to your show. <laughs> but Well, thanks to her, uh, but okay. Well, yeah, actually, that's the truth, right? Um, I read Real-Time Relationships. I decided to have a conversation with her, and that pretty much summed everything up for me. That's um, good. So you only have one female to manage in a crisis at the moment, which is your fiancé rather than a couple. So, all right, go on. And it's a little easier to bear the load, yes. Um, he, he lives on his own. He takes care of himself. I mean, he's obviously on Social Security disability. He can't drive because he's legally blind. But, um, you know, he I feel really bad for him because there's, you know, he's living like, oh, he's like retired and he just lives on his own and takes care of himself. It's a very hellish lifestyle to not have any structure. Right. So he's just the only thing he can do is run to YouTube and video games. And, and that's really about it. You know, no, that's but so, so but. Just because he was the legally blind thing that is um, in relation to the birth situation. I don't believe so. I believe that's more of genetic. Oh, okay. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure though because I I have pretty poor vision, but I'm not legally blind, and my mom has pretty poor vision, but she's not legally blind either. So it could be. But why can't he work? Well, he can. It's just well, first of all, the area he grows he's in right now. No one really wants to give him a chance, and uh, he doesn't have a way to transport himself. And there's not really good public transit. Oh come and on, I've man! Almost, oh come on, come yeah, on! I mean, I, you know, I'm. I know, I know. I have a lot of sympathy. I really do. I mean, this guy had a hell of a start in life, and and it's a horrible situation to go through. And I, I, I can't imagine how a doctor could end up in a situation where he has to break the foot of a child to get it out of the, I mean, that's just, I was a C-section. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. It's water under the bridge, so to speak. But the idea that he needs to have a car to get a job is ridiculous. There are, there are well, millions and millions of people. My, myself, I didn't get a car till I was in my thirties. I think, and I think he, see, he's in a very unique situation because he's the, you know, both of us grew up with puppet strings, and that's the way our mom treated us. She was Sorry, very, very what? manipulative. Puppet strings? Oh, yeah. Okay, I got it. So the mom was always manipulative, and when I stopped talking to her, I successfully severed those strings for the most part. But he lives a mile away from her and is somewhat, like, half dependent on her, like, to take him to the grocery store and things like that, right? Well, this I mean, and... this is the evil of this kind of money dump yeah. into people's laps, right? Is that to completely eviscerates their capacity to go out and make something of their life, right? Well, and he told her, you know, he hated her last, like, two years ago or a year sure. ago or something. And uh, I completely empathize with that position because, you know, the manipulation is very clear to me what's going on. And it's a very love-hate relationship between those two, you know? 
Like he's, he's got that white knight thing really, really hard. But when you start talking some common sense into him and seeing that she's robbing all his power, right. And making it like his actions don't mean anything. And I just say, that's not true. You know, I'm telling my brother, look, you did all that. She didn't do anything. Well, what's, what's his, don't give me his specific age, but what age range is he in? Um, he's in his late thirties. Yeah. It's probably too late. Yeah, it's probably yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd hate to say that too, but I, I no, come on. I mean, I, I, late thirties. If he if he were to try and start now, he would be starting. He would be going back uh, probably twenty five years, trying to start over. You know, change change is not a lifelong privilege. Yeah, you're no, right. Seriously, change change is like we you know this, right? But change is like being a ballerina. You know, somebody says in their late 30s, oh, I think I'm going to try and become a ballerina or a ballet dancer. I'd be like, dude, I'm sorry. Um, you're too old for that. And you're too old. You know, somebody in their late 30s says, I want to audition for the Mickey Mouse Club. I'd be like, mm, no, no. Or some woman in her 40s says, I want to be Snow White at Disneyland. It's like, nope. You, you, you might be something with a, some, you might be someone coming up with a poisoned apple, but you ain't going to be Snow White, right? And, and, and the reason, like, oh, I used to kind of think that, and this is just sort of very recent, so this is very raw and new, and I don't know exactly where it fits. I know it fits in this conversation, but just real briefly, I used to think that we were all the same hardware, we just had different software. And this probably came out of my, you know, since I was 12, I was programming computers and so on, right? And I was working yesterday with my daughter on, we we're working on a trivia game, you know, ask and answer and all that. And so I started writing some code. And the way that I write code is I just write it instinctively and then I kind of fix it as I go. I don't have a sort of a big plan ahead of time, but I just sort of write code instinctively that way, which is kind of what you do when you have uh, so so much experience. And so you, you write the code and, and you fix it up. And, and so to me, it was like, philosophy is about debugging people right so we're all we're all in the same hardware we just have different software and philosophy you know saying oh this doesn't compile this stuff. but and i was thinking about this in relation to my recent series of debates with mac mcmanus the guy from zero books with the jf gariepi and you know they're not going to change right they're not there's no, no possibility so the question is okay then why 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 can't they be quote debugged why don't they well and i think I think it's not just different software. I think it's different hardware. I was really struck uh, by the presentation, research of the destruction of America's mental health care system, where they said, you know, when you, when you have mental health issues, one of the first things to go for some people is their sense, the observing ego, right? The sense that anything's wrong with them. And so all they do is just hang on and grimly defend their viewpoint, their perspective. And... I know this is the case with my mom. I mean, I tried for, I don't know, from the age of probably 12 until the age of, gosh, uh, my late 30s, I tried to debug my mom, so to speak, right? To say, this isn't working, this isn't productive, this isn't positive, this isn't, you're not happy, and nothing, no change, no change. It didn't matter how much she suffered, it didn't matter how bad things got, there was no change in her approach, in her life, or anything like that. Now, that's not a case of, I'm basically, I'm trying to, um, 
you you can turn a computer into doing a variety of things, right? Word processing, video games, uh, Skype, what we're doing now and all of that. So yes, a lot of variety. You can change things a lot, but you can't turn a computer into something that can mow your lawn, right? So if I drop a computer in someone's lap and say, can you program this to become a lawnmower? They'd look at me like, dude, what are you talking about? I can't make this a lawnmower. It's a totally different set of hardware. And there's no interface, right? So when it comes to dealing with people, the question is, are you dealing with a computer that can be reprogrammed or are you dealing with a whole different set of hardware where there's no input? That's a really fundamental question. And when you look at sort of brain scans, you can see that various belief systems, various perspectives, various, they, they do produce different brain scans. They, like people who are conservative have a much stronger revulsion mechanism. And there's, you can predict people's political beliefs to some degree by brain scans. The twin studies show that political beliefs are, I think it's about two-thirds inherited. So the worst thing that we want to do is spend all our time, our energy, and our lives trying to turn a computer into a lawnmower or vice versa. You don't sort of drop a lawnmower in someone's lap and say, can you use this as a firewall to keep hackers out of our mainframes? No, you can't. It's different hardware. And maybe there's a time when we're young where we turn from software to hardware, you know, like the beliefs that we have, the perspectives that we have, the justifications, the lies that we tell ourselves, that they start off as software and then they sink down into and become hardware. In the same way, like you decide not to exercise, well, you're okay for a while, but your inactivity seeps down into your hardware, literally makes your bones weaker to not Exercise, particularly weight-bearing exercise is one of the reasons why I do weights a couple of times a week is because I want to keep my bones strong. And so the decisions that we make sink down into the hardware of our being, down to our very bones. And if you have not exercised for 40 years and you're like in your 60s, I mean, there's stuff that you can do for sure, but the ill health effects that you're going to be combating are entrenched and physicalized in your, in, in the substructure of your consciousness, like in your, and it's the same thing with the brain. I think if you constantly avoid the truth, if you reject the truth, if you attack people who tell the truth, it does sink down into your brain. It goes from your mind, which is your thinking sort of part, to, to the brain, which is the physical substructure. And I don't know. I do think that what happens, even if we say, well, we all still stay computers, too much denial, too much avoidance, what happens is the keyboard gets unplugged, right? So then you're sitting there hammering away on a keyboard, nothing's changing. Why? Because the keyboard's unplugged. You say, oh, well, it's going to plug in the keyboard, <laughs> but you can't. The input is gone. And... I have really been working with this. I, I feel your revulsion, and I feel the same way, this revulsion about the idea that it's too late. I remember even in The Fountainhead, which was a hugely influential book I read in my teens, where 
Howard Rourke says to Peter Keating, I'm sorry, Peter, it's too late. It's too late. Oh, that was horrifying. But you understand that horror at it being too late is why it's not too late for us. Because we are horrified at the idea of things being too late. And I think we all do grasp it intuitively and instinctively. And we're terrified of it being too late. And because we're terrified of it being too late, we apply ourselves to stay rational, to change, to grow, to listen, to reason, to think. But people who don't ever think it's too late, that they maybe think there's a finger snap of change just around the corner, they're not scared of it being too late. And how do we know they're not scared of it being too late? Because they've ended up in a life where it was too late. And it is too late. And it kind of forever will be too late. And the last thing I'll say is um, when I was in therapy many years ago, my therapist recommended that I watch a British series. There was an American remake, I think. I've never seen it. But a, a British series called The Singing Detective, written by a guy who was sexually abused by his uncle as a child. I didn't know any of this at the time. This is long before Wikipedia or you know anything else which serves up, uh, well, occasionally consistent information, but mostly <laughs> anti-communist propaganda or anti-anti-communist propaganda. But he also wrote um, Brimstone and Treacle, which is a movie I kind of got into as a teen only because uh, Sting did the soundtrack and was in the movie. And I was a bit of a Sting fanatic for a while there. But in the movie... This guy has psoriasis or some horrible skin condition. Or as my therapist put it, his unconscious is in full revolt. And he's trying to get out of his wheelchair. He's doing therapy. He's trying to get out of his wheelchair. And at one point, his therapist says, do it. Do it now. It's now or never. I don't remember getting goosebumps when I saw that scene. It's now or never. It's a long conversation with her about this. It's now or never. This idea that it comes down to a moment, life comes down to a moment, and there's no backtracking, there's no circling back, there's no do-overs, there's no mulligans. It comes down to a choice that people make in a moment the rest of their lives. And she said, but the never has already been occurring. The never is not in the future. The never is in the past. I'll never be better. I'll never be healthy. I'll never be well. I'll never be happy. I'll never be loved. The future. The never is not a future statement. It's a past statement. That he has living a life like he'll never be happy and he's not happy. It's now or never. In other words, are people going to let the never continue forever? Or are they going to jump the tracks, break out of the programming, and strike off the dangerous, treacherous, and glorious route of individuation, thinking for themselves. And I did ponder that long and hard. And I looked at the evidence. God, I'm supposed to be such an empiricist. I was a terrible empiricist. Probably still am in some ways. <laughs> I was a terrible empiricist because I had been working on the assumption that I could change people that the force of reason, not me, not me, but the force of reason. When you want someone to get off the train tracks, you say there's a train coming. It's not your command that is getting them to get off the tracks. It's the fact that you're identifying an objective fact that the train is coming and they should get off the tracks. Right? It's the train. 
that should change their mind, not just your words. And I thought that reason and evidence and all of that would change people. And the grim, horrible, but factual result is that, in general, it didn't. didn't change people. didn't change people at all. They just dug in and they doubled down on their anti-rationality and they clung to their self-constricting, self-strangling spiral of beliefs that were leading them to a grimly repetitive, decaying orbit of an unlived life. They didn't change. There's no input. I was pounding away on the keyboard. It wasn't plugged into anything. Not a thing. And we stay around tortured by the people who won't change. I had a friend, like your brother, not with the same physical issues, but he missed the window on dating. He was, he, he was, she had a sort of thing about being short and he missed the window on dating. And uh, that window never reopened. You know, that window like you're 14, 15, 16, maybe up to about your early 20s. You miss the window. You just never. And then what happens is because you're too scared, because you haven't been dating, because you were too scared to date, you end up now really scared because you don't know how to interact with women in a romantic context. And the avoidance becomes easier and the desire begins to fade away. And he never dated. Never dated. I actually know two guys like this from my, from my youth. One, professionally very successful. The other, uh, not. But uh, the window opens, the opportunity beckons, and then it slams the hell shut. And in general, just doesn't open again. Now, we're scared like hell of that, which is why our lives do better, but also why we're drawn to sticking around because we think, oh, well, mate, look, my keyboard's plugged in, so I'm going to be, you know, pounding on other people's keyboards, but just don't notice that the Keyboards aren't plugged in. We're trying to program lawnmowers. Change, or well, the capacity for it, for whatever reason, does not seem to be at all universally cast about the minds of humanity. And when we accept that, and I'm still working on this, so, you know, this is, again, no sort of final conclusion or anything like that, but with regards to your brother, it is really painful to realize that when we don't have a keyboard, we are just a machine. We are stuck in loops. We've got no control break. We've got no interruption. And we can't plug keyboards into people. That's their choice. And by the time someone's in their late 30s, if they haven't got their life going, come on. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. There well, is, you're, you're, sorry, last thing I'll say, there is this thing in, in you know, it's this cliche that you see all the time. I've mentioned this before a bunch of times. It's cliche that you see in these hospital dramas where the guy's trying to resuscitate, the doctor's trying to resuscitate a friend or something like that. And he keeps pounding away while everyone glances at each other. Like, do you want to tell him? And somebody puts their arm on the guy's, puts the hand on the guy's elbow and says, you, you got to call it. And he's like, no. 
And he tries for another 30 seconds or another minute or whatever. And then people are like, okay, I'm going to call it. If you're not going to call it, he's gone. I think knowing when to call it is really important. So that's just sort of, I'm sorry that took took so long, but it's something that's really been sort of bouncing around in my brain over the last little while. I mean, you know, I, uh, I've been trying to talk to people about this coronavirus stuff and man, the emails I get of like, I can't believe you're falling for this fascist plot. And I don't know any, anyone who who's ill. And it's like, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Where, where's the input? Anyway, sorry, go ahead. So I told my brother the other day, I kind of RTR'd with him just a little bit. And I said, I don't know why, but when you call the phone, I get dread, but it's a different kind of dread than when mom called. So you once said that, you know how someone is to you based on how you respond to their phone call, right? Emotionally. So anytime mm-hmm. my mom would call for the last like 20 years, I would just like, it would send me on a three day eating binge. That's how bad it was. Holy right? crap. Like, yeah. Like just extreme spike in cortisol, just so high that it wouldn't even like, you know, I'd lose sleep at night. And if I answered the phone, I'd get caught in a three hour drunken loop of the end of the world. Right. Just over and over and over again. Like can't make any reasonable argument with this incoherent individual. And what's funny is she deep food, but it took her till she was 60 and she's damaged goods. Right. It's too late, you know, but I mean, she was trying to change these people for so long and then she's waking up now to realize her life is real hell, but she won't, she won't take that extra step to, you know, I mean, she'll apologize to me, but she, for what, right. I've said that to her, like, for what, what do you apologize for? Like, I can understand you're feeling sorry for failing me, but what did you fail me in? Once you tell me that, then we'll have a meeting. Yeah, you want to make sure they're not just saying the magic words to get resources. Sorry. Now come yeah. and rub my feet. But but for my brother, you know, I, I, I called him and I said, I don't know why on the phone. You know, I get dread when you call. It's not as strong as with mom, but I feel pain. And I couldn't, you, you basically nailed it right on the head there. Is the reason I feel pain is because he's dead. And I know he's dead and there's nothing I can do to fix it. And that gives me a great amount of anxiety because I, I know him, right? And I'm close to him in some ways. And I just, there was a time where maybe if I'd have been more whole, I could have done something. But it's in the past and I know it's gone. And it's it's difficult no, no, for me it's to have not, conversations. It's not up to you. No, come on. You can't, you no. can't take the role of parent as a sibling. And it is, of course, true that there really weren't many zombie movies before the welfare state. but what i worry about something you were talking about one of the things i worry about is um you know i grew up in a very unsafe household right there was i mean my ace score is a seven so you can imagine fill in the blank i've had just about all of it and now that i'm with my fiance there are times where she'll suppress her emotions and then she'll get mad and I'll feel like I deserve it. And it actually brings me comfort because it's familiar. And that's, that worries me because it's like, okay, am I actually changing or am I just getting comfortable being in this argumentative combative style of relationship, even though I try to RTR and it just kind of falls flat. Right. And I'm like, I don't know. Why do I feel comfort and misery? Right. Is, but that's is the that Simon the Boxer stuff, right? That this, you're used to managing misery 
That's the only power that you had. You didn't have the power to end misery, but you had the power to manage it. And so because you're used to managing misery, I mean, listen, I've obviously had about a million hours of thought about, you know, that I was uh, criticized, attacked, and rejected as a child. Am I reproducing that through this philosophy show? I mean, I've obviously had to really check whether I'm Simon the Boxering with this philosophy show. And I would say that this uh, addiction to misery is, again, the result of a lack of anger, right? And and so when, just so you know, you guys can sort of lift the lid on, on this wizard show or whatever, right? But when you talk to me about your history, it's kind of bland. Not the content, of course, but the tone, right? It's kind of bland. And... I'm just wondering where your connection is to the anger that you had. I mean, you're 18 months old and your mom divorces your dad. It's That's suppressed. Brutal. That's brutal. It's it's suppressed and it's I grew up in a household where anger was dangerous. The whole reason my mom said she divorced my dad, which I came to find out was true and it 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 basically destroyed any trust I had in her at all. Period like completely and this was last year i found out about this probably about six seven months ago she said my dad domestically abused her and my brother like beat them right and you know i i would spend two weeks a year with my dad and he would go to church and my mom wouldn't go to church and i don't remember him ever raising a finger against me and you know i i started in my teenage years i started questioning things and and you know, no one would tell me anything. My dad was kind of like, we don't talk about that. And my mom was like, yeah, he beat me. What do you want? You know, and wouldn't give me any details or anything. Right. And, uh, I come to find out later, I, I came to my mom after kind of hearing some of your stuff. And I said, I'm not okay with this divorce. I don't agree with it. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I think we should talk about it. My mom, you know, playing the manipulative card, said, yeah, go talk to your dad first. So basically sick me on dad, right? And I, I had a very painful conversation with my father. I basically pulled information out of him. I literally pulled And I broke his trust in the process, but he basically told me that there was another man. And I didn't believe him, right, because I was a white knight. And uh, when I confronted my mom, she denied categorically. And then she started drinking. And about two or three weeks later, she left me a voicemail. It said it was true. It was true. She cheated on my father. And I was just like devastated. I just, I, I, I told my therapist, I said, my body split in two when I heard that voicemail. Like part of me was sitting there not knowing what to do. And part of me is like, I got to go to work. I can't deal with this shit. Right. So, but it's a very liberating voicemail to get. I mean, it is, but no, seriously, you, you got to take these treasures where they are. This is a incredibly liberating email because this witch with a capital B turned you against your father by slandering his character for decades. Yes. Well, no, actually, sorry. When did she tell you that he beat her? Oh, I always, I don't remember when it started, but I know I knew it at like eight, nine, ten. Okay, so sure. she said that the reason for the divorce was that your father beat her, uh, but in fact, the reason for the divorce was she was fucking around. Well, and she see this is she tries to 
play semantics because she's like, well, I was already trying to leave him when I jumped in bed with another man and the divorce wasn't final yet. But I go, well, the same thing, right? No, it but why would, you, why would you listen to anything she says? Well, and that's the point. Like, come on. Uh, so she lied. And now, wait, but did did your father beat her? Do you know if that's true or do you have a sense of that? He's got a temper and I inherited that genetically. But you don't um, remember him beating you, even though she claims he did, right? No, the worst he's ever done was I was listening to music too loud and he was trying to talk to me one time and he ended up jerking the headphones off my head. And I was about 13 and I turned around and tore him a new one and walked off, right? And I was gone for about six, eight miles walking down a dirt road until I okay, came so, back. Okay, so hang on. Apologize. Sorry, I'm sorry. It's not that I don't care about the details. I just want to make sure we don't. Yeah, so yeah. No, your mother no, you're claims, right. Your mother claims that your father beat you, but you have no memory beat of him her doing that. Beat her and my brother. No, I know that, but you, you can't tell you can't tell whether he beat her because whatever, right? Maybe he forced her to to stay silent, right? So that's not verifiable in an objective sense. But her claim that he beat you is verifiable because if you've no memories of him beating you, then she's a goddamn liar. Well, and I, I kind of figured that because it didn't match reality when I was a teenager, right? Okay, so, like, so she did lie about your father beating you. Which means that she probably almost certainly lied about him beating her. Yeah, there's a lot of pain around that. A lot of pain around that. I get that. I get that. But there's also like a walk away from the smoking rubble of her duplicity with no regrets. There's something enormously liberating in finding out just how evil some people can be. Well, and that's why I have no desire. I mean, right now I'm sending a few sparse emails back and forth, but I really have no desire to have a relationship with her. And my fiance is actually struggling with that because, you know, she doesn't, I mean, she's starting to get it now a little bit at a time, but she just doesn't understand my childhood. But does she, sorry, does, does your brother understand all of this stuff? I don't know. Well, I mean, does does he know that she lied about your father to you both? I don't know if he believes it. Well, does he have memories of your father beating him? He said something about, and my dad has confirmed the story about, you know, he was over by a car, you know, he got injured one time based on my dad's temper. And I can see, I can see where that would be not targeted abuse, but accidental abuse. Yeah. But that's not what your mother claimed. Your mother claimed that your father beat you both, right? Right. Right. Okay. So this accidental, whatever, whatever. Okay. That's, that's a shame. That's bad. And that should bring your father up short with regards to his temper, but that's not the same as beating someone. Right. So does your brother understand that your mother, your father, by lying about his actions? I don't think he does. Because he's taking money or taking resources or taking support from a woman who lied about your father in order to cover up her own affair which is about as evil a thing as you can do to a child because that corrupts internally 
A physical blow harms externally, it heals, and it's morally clear. This internal corruption. Playing the victim when you are, in fact, the abuser. <sighs> that's, that's, that's her calling card. That is about as bad you as got, things can be. That, that's her calling card. So if your brother is aligned with her, that's also liberating. Well, by choice, though. I'm sorry? By choice, though. Like, I've always what? asked him that. What like, by choice? Like, well, he's got a house a mile away from her, and he's, see, this is the thing. He's kind of like a grown child still. No, no, I get all of that. I get all of that. Yeah. But that's also to some degree by choice, right? As you said, his mental faculties yeah. certainly weren't, he wasn't turned to, into a, a mentally retarded person, right? Yeah, I'm seeing that. Okay, seeing so that. this is also partly by choice. So he's choosing to align himself with your mother. Hey, man, if you join that team, you've made your choice. If you're willing to support the slander of our father in order to get resources from an evil woman, okay, you've made your choice. Give him free will, man. Give him free will. It is the greatest and most liberating gift on the planet. Give him free will and moral responsibility. Demonstrate to him what it is like to hold someone accountable. That way he can end up holding himself accountable at some point, we hope. You're right about that because that's what I think he wants. I honestly believe that. Yeah. And also, holding others accountable allows you to hold yourself accountable. And it will give you the reason why we're talking about all of this, obviously, other than that it's super, super important, but is because I want you to have the capacity to convince your fiance. And what that means, the way that we convince other people is we are certain ourselves. Because if you have this, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, obviously, I don't know how you communicate this to her. But if you don't have anger, and I mean healthy anger, if you don't have certainty, if you don't have authority, then you're going to be, but but honey, there's this data and there's this graphs and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be very easy to dismiss that, right? And that's what happens. That's what happens. You're trying to, you're trying to pound on the keyboard, right? Use it the same old keystrokes, right? Isn't, right? Mm-hmm. What, what would you say is healthy anger? I guess that's so, that's where I fall down. Yeah. So I mean, the problem is, of course, that you've trained her to ignore you. <laughs> no, you have, right? Yeah, that's that's true. That's very true. Um, you've trained her to ignore you, and so you've reproduced this situation where you're desperate to get someone's attention, but they're ignoring you, which is going back to your childhood, right? Yeah. So, I mean, generally, the way that we change longstanding patterns in a relationship is we acknowledge them, right? Okay. I mean, if you've got a parent who yells at you all the time and then they just suddenly stop yelling at you, it's kind of confusing, right? But if they say, you know, I've been yelling at you, it's really terrible. Here's what I've realized. Here's what I've thought. Here's what I'm going to change. 
here's how I'm sorry, here's how I'm going to make amends, all that. Like, that's, a, that's managed change, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, every time my bills go up, I get a message saying, hey, your bills are going to go up, whatever, right? At least there's an acknowledgement of the existing fee structure and a recognition that it's going to change, right? So, so you know, you sit down with your girlfriend, or just your fiancé, sorry, and you say, hey, you know, we're stuck in this loop, right? Like, I've obviously trained you to ignore me because a lot of my concerns have been overblown. It comes out of my childhood. But here's the other thing, too, is that she's got to bring to that conversation why she's with a guy she likes to ignore. That's a good point. I mean, what the hell is she in it for? I mean, not saying you're not a great guy. I'm sure that you are. But if she genuinely accepted that you were a great guy, then A, you'd be having a conversation, something like this. And B, she wouldn't be ignoring what you say. She grew up in a family where the women ruled the house. Yeah, okay. So she's picked someone that she can rule, right? Yeah, in a, in a sense, because her dad's like that and her dad's dad is like that. Oh, so like just kind of these walking along, slouched over, carrying the woman's handbag and while she goes shopping or, you know, just to take those cliches, right? Yeah, a lot of it. See, the difference is I'm talking. Like I talk too much, right? No, you don't. No, you don't. No, no, you don't. No, please. You, you, you know, you can have other people insult you, but you're not going to insult yourself on my time. Okay. Well, that's just something people have told you. You have internalized it. And uh, no, come on. And listen, you're talking to a guy with 4,500 podcasts. I'm not going to say anyone talks too much. It's pretty much a glass house, right? Well, I'm used to observing in her side of the family uh, males that are quiet. And when they speak, they, they're peacekeepers, right? They don't, they don't stand up for anything. They don't exhibit any anger or authority or very right. And they don't weed into the henpecking. Right. Like they let them peck each other and kind of try to avoid it and get drug into it is what ends up happening. Right. Now, do you want that to be the rest of your life? No. No. Okay. So not. then you gotta you gotta invite her. I mean, she's ignoring you, but you're also ignoring her, right? In other words, you're ignoring the dynamic wherein you don't have much of a voice. She's telling you very clearly how she wants the marriage to go, right? Are you listening? Yeah, I suppose. Are you listening to her? See, you complain that you're being ignored. She's being ignored. And I have hope because she's with you. And my hope is this, that she ignores you in the desperate hope that you will help her break the cycle. I guess what it, where it is, like, for example, um, we, we did get to this point yesterday where she said, well, I just think you worry too much about something. And I said, okay, so I feel like we're in a conflict because we don't agree and your actions are doing things against my wishes. And you say I over-worry about something. So we, we got right up to that press, Stefan, just last night. So when I went to push about it and said, okay, this is where we're at. Where do we go from here? Oh, for God's sakes, man, be a leader. Yeah. I, I oh, guess my God. Where do we go I from here? I guess that's the problem, right? I, I don't know if you've got to where... convert to Christianity or whatever it is, or, or maybe the aforementioned Islam, but you've got to be a leader. 
so in that situation, what what could I have done differently? Because we were at that precipice just last night. And you say, okay, so we, so so you, I would say something like this. So why have you chosen a guy where you feel that my okay? Let's role play. You be you be you be your fiance, right? Okay. Uh, let's roll. All right. So why have you chosen a guy? whose opinions you often dismiss? Well, what I got last night, and I'll say it word for word, I don't know. I just don't want to think about it right now. Well, that's not really an option in our relationship, right? Sorry. Like, no. Now, maybe you're really retired. Maybe you just want to, you know, but we'll, <clears throat> we can talk about this tomorrow. But not talking about how our relationship works is not an option in this relationship. It's sort of like saying, well, I want to have a car, but I never want to change the oil or fill the gas or understand anything about how it works. Well, that's not really an option for car ownership. You might run it for a month or two. Well, not even that if you're driving much, but so we have to maintain our relationship. We have to talk about our relationship and we have to make sure we're on the right course. So the option, I mean, I'd rather talk about it now and I think it's important that we do, but the option to not talk about our relationship that's not an option. In no way, shape, or form is that an option. Because I've seen what not talking about relationships does, and that's why my parents got divorced three times. No, not doing it. That is not an option. And a lot of people experience that assertiveness as being a bully, right? And she'll say, oh, hey, don't tell me what the, whatever, whatever she might say. And I'm happy to role play that if you want. Like, what would she say to that? she say to that she'd get mad she'd get angry probably and then she, okay so she tell me just let's role play what would she say she'd say something along the lines of well you don't really care about what i think you're just trying to control me now that is I'm really, really glad you said that to me, honey. I'm really glad you said that to me because you gen like so either you genuinely believe that I just want to control you and I don't care about what you think, or you're saying that to score some sort of point in what you perceive to be a win lose conflict, right? So do you think like take take a deep breath, take a moment. Is this a statement that you genuinely believe I don't care about what you think and that I just want to control you? Is that your honest true deep thought about me no she'd say no at that point okay so then i would say so that's that's a mean and cheap trick that's playing really dirty and you can't do that you cannot do that that is a despicable way to interact with me to accuse me of being uncaring and bullying when i'm stating my preferences you have to understand that is absolutely unacceptable in our relationship. Now, it may happen. You'll slip from time to time. We all have bad habits. I do. You do. But I just want you to understand that what you did just there was absolutely horrible. And that's a really important thing to do when people accuse you of something bad. You want to take, tell them to pause Take a deep breath and 
Ask them whether that's their genuine and true feeling. Now, if they say, yes, it is, then you have a giant problem on your hand, right? Well, you have a problem yeah. either way, <clears throat> right? Right. Um, you know, it's like people say, you know, do this or we're done. It's like, okay, so is that is that an ultimatum that you are really willing and, you know, do thinking about it, not just reacting, right? Somebody says, you know, you're just, uh, you, you don't care about me. It's like, oh, is that your genuine thought? You genuinely believe that. Now, most people will back down from that statement, in which case, hopefully they have some humility about the dirty tricks that they're playing to get their way in a relationship, right? Uh, or they won't back down from it, in which case, man, I don't know what to say. Where, where do you go from there? Why on earth, I would say, well, why on earth would you be with a guy who's a bully who doesn't care about you? What, what on earth are you doing with your life? Is that all you think you're worth? Well, and there's history there too. I know. Of course there is. Of course there is. Yeah. She didn't. She didn't learn these tricks any more than she learned, or she didn't invent these tricks any more than she invented the English language. Right? Just learned it. But you got to put a stop to that stuff, man. If if she escalates and starts to insult your character, you 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 simply can't allow that. Like you cannot allow that. Now you say, oh, but I'm trying to control her. It's like no. You know, if if the restaurant serves my food cold and I don't go to the restaurant, I'm not trying to control the restaurant. And so if she has these approaches to conflict, she either shuts down or she starts abusing you. <clears throat> and that is verbal abuse. Saying that you're a bully who doesn't care about her is verbal abuse. Because it is painting your character in the blackest possible terms. Exactly as your mother did, of course, to your dad. Mm-hmm. And you cannot, you cannot allow that. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, I wish, I wish there was a universe, or maybe I don't, but it, it, you can't, you can't, you can't let her attack you in that way. Now you say, oh, but I can't control what she says and does. Sure. I can't control whether the restaurant serves me hot or cold food, really, but I can control whether I go to the restaurant. I would not get married to somebody. I would not get married to somebody who would attack my character in that way. Oh, my God. You guys are supposed to be each other's safe harbor. You're supposed to be where you guys go to find a soft place to land in a hard and harsh world. If you've got no comfort and no security at home, man, you got nothing. you got nothing. I've I've had a lot of shutdown phrases. Well, yeah, and you just like, say, look, I'm sorry, that's not acceptable, right? Yeah, like, like I don't want to talk about this now, or I don't feel good about all this I feel stuff, or... You know, yeah, and I'm say, listen, let's, let's talk about or... your feelings. Let's talk about how you don't want to talk about it, right? Now, what's really happening, of course, is that she doesn't want her control mechanisms to be exposed, although she mm-hmm. does deep down, which is why she's with you. And she's with you, mm-hmm. hoping you're going to rescue her from the dragon, right? You know, all of these... Uh, mm-hmm. All these stories of the white knights who go and rescue women from the dragons, well, the dragon is generally the matriarchy, right? So women need to be rescued from the coven of bullying feminine natures that surround them, which is not all feminine nature, of course, but just the ones that surround them in that particular context like her. And so what happens is her entire family is trying to destroy your relationship because if you guys end up, she lets go of her bullying, you end up closer, you end up happier and so on, that's really going to make... The coven, right, her witchy brew circle, really upset because God help them if your assertiveness transmits itself to their men. Oh, man, can you imagine? 
their men start standing up for themselves, their men start RTRing, their men start having assertiveness. Now you could say, well, desperately deep down, they're hoping for that too. And it's like, yeah, but they won't do, won't give that up without a battle. And that hope can be too late too, just like your brother. Well, and that's, that's why I see these, these, I call them paper men, right? Because like the other day, uh, my fiance was crying because we had to postpone the wedding, right? It was, it came up one day. Yeah, I understand that. You know, and and I knew that was going to happen and I I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to tell her because I knew it was going to be a negative reaction, but I had to. So I did. And her dad had called and apparently they were blaming her for the virus. At least that's the words, right? And I, I got mad at that point and I picked the phone up when he called and, you know, I was trying to be polite, but I was being very passive aggressive too. And uh, I remember telling him, look, you can't force a wedding. I said, a wedding is between your daughter and I, and if I don't show up, there is no wedding. I remember saying those words because I said, I'm not going to put people at risk just because we've spent money and that you've invested money and I've invested money. I said, well, we'll figure all this out and I don't care how much money it takes. Well, it's going to be a lot more expensive if people get sick as a result of the wedding. Yeah, I could wipe out. My whole family wasn't going to come because they're out of state. So it was like, why have a wedding when only half the family is going to be there? It doesn't make any sense, you know? So, but um, I know I, I tore into him a little bit and I know he got a little upset. And then I thought, well, I owe him an apology. So I'll wait for an opportunity. That opportunity never came because he just blew over it like nothing ever happened. Why did you and owe him I'm an apology? Like, well, I feel like, you know, I was a little bit rude on the phone to him. Like I, I was just stating the truth objectively, but. You know, I, I guess I stated it in such a crass way. I don't I don't know. Maybe people, maybe that's what I feel. I have to apologize for the truth. Maybe no, just... I mean, come on. If you're just telling the truth about somebody who's blaming your fiance for coronavirus, I don't think you have much apologizing to do. I think he would have the apologizing to do, wouldn't he? Yeah, and I guess that's not happening either. And you got to demonstrate to him what it's like to stop making the peace all the time. Making the peace is just another way of saying I'm going to self-erase. Well, see, her mom has been critical of her. And, you know, I, I always get that after the fact, right? Like we get out of the out of the house after a dinner or something and she'll tell me, well, my mom was doing this and call me fat or making fat faces or whatever. And I kept saying, if I see it, I said, I, so help me God if I see that. No, but I'm I sorry. Hang on. Hang on. Why would you say if I see that? Well, I mean, I'm supporting her and telling her it's awful, and I'm saying you should. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hang on. Maybe you're not quite understanding what I'm saying. Your fiance comes home and says that your mother abused her or called her fat, which you know is no her her mother. Sorry, her mother. My mother. Yeah, her mother. Her mother. Now I get that. Your mother-in-law, right? Yeah. What would be? Yeah. Okay, so your would-be mother-in-law, if if somebody called. If somebody said hurtful things to your fiance at a time when she's, you know, going through the challenge of the wedding being delayed, which is a big deal. I mean, I mean, it's probably a bigger deal for her than for you, but you know, women have these wonderful commitments to these things and that's just a great thing. But I'm not sure why you'd say, if I ever saw that, I'm not sure why you wouldn't just drive straight over to your mother-in-law's. That's my dad. That's my dad. That's for sure his programming. Okay, so I yeah, I mean, no, you would you would 
can can you can you see them physically? Are they close? What my dad? No, your mother-in-law to be. Or uh, or are, are they close? Yeah, physically. You mean to her husband? No, are they within driving distance of you? <laughs> oh, they're two hours. Okay, so you know you're going to be married for the next fifty years or whatever, right? So yeah, you'd 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 say, okay, well we're going to go talk to your mom, right? You get in the car and you drive for the two hours, and you'd say, okay, we got to sit down because you said things that made my fiance very upset, and uh, that's not going to happen anymore. What if she doesn't want to do that? Okay, then you go alone. Okay, that's interesting because that, I think that's because you're a boy. If I if I man. saw that, you understand that you this is a betrayal. It's a betrayal yeah. of your fiance. Yeah, that's true. Well, and it's counter to what my therapist said. My therapist said let her lead in a confrontation. Oh, yeah, no, and no, I mean, no, support. I wouldn't. I mean that that's saying that somehow the, the, your values are dependent upon the choices of others. Listen, she needs someone to stand up to the bullies in her life, and that yeah, person needs right. to be you. Yeah, you're okay. Dad. Because you know, I you know for sure that that would never happen in front of you. So when you say, "Well, if I see that, I'll do something," you're basically saying, and "Yeah, you're on your own. I'm not standing up for you." And too that's bad, why right? it was behind my back. Yeah, of course. I mean, they're not going to abuse her in front of you. So you're basically saying, "Oh well, um, yeah. Good luck. Good luck with the bullies. I'm never going to do anything." And that's what my dad. Has done his and that's what all there. That. That's what all the men do, right? Oh my gosh! You got to be there for your fiance. My God, she's circled by wolves, and you're like, I don't know. I'm going to see if there's anything to eat in the cupboard. <laughs> and then you claim, you claim to me with with you know very honest uh, intent that uh, that she's just not paying attention to you. Well, now that makes a lot of sense, right? And that's what I mean by leadership. Uh-huh. So that's healthy anger. That's healthy anger. Hey, you mess with my fiance? We're having words, man. Yeah, there's been several attempts where I've had opportunities to do that, and I haven't taken the full advantage of that. And listen, I understand that. This is a scary thing to do. Because what might happen is the entire system might blow up in your face, right? Your fiance might side with them, turn against you and say, you did what? If you go and talk to my mother, it's over. She might. And that's fine. Well, then it's like, okay, well, I'm glad I found this out now rather than in divorce court. Exactly. Because that's exactly where it will lead. I agree. Can the family system stand me practically loving my fiance? Because, you know, there's love like I bought you flowers, and then there's love like, no, you don't get to mess with my fiancé. So, so this explains the despair, too, because obviously, like you said, I'm putting myself, you know, I have an honest intent, but at the same time, I'm turning away from it. And I'm kind of dealing with these, like, like, well, I'm just like what you said, you know, I want respect, but how can I get respect if I don't stand up for her? You, yeah, she and yet I she, worry about standing up for her because the whole thing could implode and it's like <laughs> right right and, and see this is how you break the cycle you don't break the cycle by getting her to stay home from the hairdresser 
right? That's just ta- that's an that's a, a symptom, not a cause. Mm-hmm. You break the cycle by doing the opposite of what you were forced to do as a child. Now, that doesn't mean you always have to do the opposite, but it doesn't hurt as a place to start. So as a child, so, so, you, couldn't, you weren't allowed to stand up for yourself and your father didn't stand right. up for himself. So now what do you do when you have to stand up for yourself and you have to stand up for your fiance? It's a, it's a question of love, right? Do you love her enough to stand up for her when she's being insulted? You know, shit, Dan, in the past, man, you said something like that about a woman's fiance, you'd be born. Yeah. You know, when we knew yeah, how to have true. loyalty to our loved ones. So how how would you do that now? Like right this like if if oh, I had to you go hang up there. for me and you go call your mother in law and you say I'm coming over. Okay. And then what would I bring like okay, so I could bring up there's at least three instances that I could think of off the top of my head that are completely inappropriate. What do you mean by inappropriate? My God, that's such a girly word. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> inappropriate? Just yeah. nasty. Let's Three just call things for what they are. Just nasty and abusive. I, yeah, okay. Well, just so name it for what it is. Yeah. Inappropriate is wearing white after Labor Day. It's showing up to a black tie in a three-piece. But what if we both know that nothing's going to change? Or what if she knows that nothing? No, but you see, you're you're assuming nothing's going to change when you haven't changed the variables. Well, I'm not sure because she saw me walk away from my mom. She was here. No, 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 no. Sorry, let me understand. I'm sorry. Let me sort of be clear. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if I if a computer program I've written doesn't work and I just keep running it again, what's going to happen? Well, it's gonna it's gonna blow up. Well, it's going to continue to not work, right? I haven't changed anything. I haven't changed the code. I haven't changed anything, right? Yeah. So the only chance that you have for things to change is for you to change your behavior. And if your behavior is to talk tough in the abstract but not do anything in the moment, then the disloyalty is not who but you to her, at least in this Mm -hmm. situation, right? So now she's probably going to freak out. I mean, boy, you think you've got anxiety. She's going to completely freak out at the thought of somebody confronting her mother over her mother's ill treatment of her, right? Mm-hmm. And she's going to beg and plead and threaten for you not to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're going to be very tempted to get into that. Oh, yeah, well, next time I see it, whatever, right? Okay, honey, right? right? And be like, right. no, this is not about you, right? Because she's going to say, don't do it. And she'll say, but this is not about you. This is about what's right. Because, you know, you and I are going to have kids together. And, honey, when you and I have kids together, we're going to probably, I hope, teach them that they should stand up for what's right and tell the truth and have moral courage and not conform to the mob and not get pushed around by bullies, right? Now, how on earth are we going to be able to teach that to our children if we can't do it ourselves? And she's like, I desperately don't want you to do it. It's going to blow everything up. It's going to ruin everything. I'm like, "Mm, look, if this is what is, I'm happy to ruin it. You know, if this house can't stand... If I lean against the wall, she's knocked the fucker down. Well, and it, it's funny you say that because, like I was saying, the, the defu thing, you know, we were in therapy together and she just she said before, I just can't imagine doing that. Like, I've done it. I've walked away from an evil, cold-hearted bitch, but... Well, but like, you're still I accepting messages and stuff, right? 
Well, that's true. I'm very selective in that, at least. But Well, okay, but I'm just saying that's not defooing, and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying that technically that's not. Like, it's like saying, well, you know, I've broken up with my girlfriend, but we still sleep together. Yeah, I see your point. Or, you know, we still make out or whatever. Anyway, sorry to use that with your mom. That's a very Freudian just, example, just, you know what I mean? Though. Like, I guess what I worry about and what she worries about is um, if I confront her on abusive behavior, like you just said, the house of cards falls over and then what? Good, then don't move into that house of cards. Listen, if you can't stand up for your values, then you're going to spend the rest of your life being 18 months old. Yeah, I guess you got a point there. You're going to marry into that, and you already went through one divorce, right? Yep. You choose philosophy, man. It, it, uh, it nullifies a whole bunch of other choices. I mean, you might have been able to, I mean, obviously, your fiance's, the men in your fiance's family have accepted all of that and they've kind of struggled through life and all that, but they didn't have this show, right? Sorry, they didn't do therapy. They didn't write. You don't have really that choice anymore. I mean, you do, but it's going to be unsustainable. Yeah, you got a point. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Just got to live the values. Once you have the values, you're tortured by not living them. That's... And listen, I, I spent a lot of years not living them. So I say this with massive sympathy and uh, from no high mountain of any kind of moral perfection. I was 15 years not living my values from my teens to my late 20s, early 30s. 10 to 15 years. It's hard to pin it down exactly, but a long time. <laughs> Let's put it that way. A long time with the values in my head, but not in my hands. Aren't you mad that your fiance's mother made her so upset? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so what is it? So this is what I mean when I say you're not angry enough. Angry is don't you dare talk to my fiance that way. I don't care what she did. Don't you dare talk to my fiance that way. Who the hell do you think you are to talk to the woman I love that way? What is the matter with you? And you know what? I don't even care what the matter with you. It's not going to happen. Right. Now, they're going to be, you know, obviously they're going to be, oh, she misinterpreted or she misunderstood or she said something mean to me, blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on, you're, you're the mother here. You're the adult. You set the tone. You set the tone. It's your job. And... The fact that you've now in your early 60s or however the hell old she is, the fact that somebody needs to sit down with you and tell you not to tell your daughter she's fat, not to make her cry, not to upset her in that way. And she said, well, she is overweight. I don't know if she is. Maybe she is, right? She, she is overweight. It's like, yeah, okay. So, yeah, she could stand to lose a few pounds. So could you. But, you know, you don't get people to lose weight by just saying you're fat in a mean way. That's just abuse. Right. I never said that. Oh, so now you're saying that my fiance is a liar. 
Well, she must have misinterpreted. No, she didn't. Don't weasel that. Don't be a bully to her and then a coward to me. That's despicable. I guess that's the definition of a bully, right? Right. Don't be all kinds of tough with your child. And then when her fiance comes by and calls you on it, get all kinds of weasley about that, right? At least have the courage of your meanness. Well, Stefan, I really appreciate it. I mean, I now know what I need to do. Good. Will you keep us posted? I sure will. That I is sure a great. Will. That's a great thing, man. Good for you. Good for you. I'm glad you brought I'll this go up. Out and, I'll go out and take the reins right this minute. Good. Good. All right. Keep us posted. And um, who you had somebody who wanted to go next? Yeah. Thanks again. You're welcome, man. Hello. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Good, um, Pretty good. Uh, I'll read my question here. I uh, just wanted to ask you a, a really quick question, grab your thought, um, and make a mention. So I really like your videos where you take an article, you read it, you break it down, kind of address some of the issues. And I was wondering um, if you've considered or thought about doing that with like your Wikipedia page, kind of like a truth about. Yeah, no, I, I have thought about that. Um, I'm sort of on the fence about it. There are pluses and minuses. Uh, I have uh, I have thought about that. Okay, awesome. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether to broadcast it or not. I mean, it's it's one of these uh, sorts of questions. I don't know. So, I guess uh, um, if you guys want to leave me feedback on that uh, in the call and show text, uh, I would I would appreciate that because you know I I I thump my chest to represent <laughs> Compton style. I suppose. <laughs> so um, you guys can let you me know want what you, you, you want to do what the people want. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You guys, uh, you guys run run uh, run a lot of my decisions, and rightly so. So, just let me know what you think. And I also thought about doing that with the, some of the debates as well, but my God, that would be that would be a long show. Yeah, yeah. I saw you had like a truth about Stefan Molyneux, but it was kind of like your your upbringing. But I, I thought that would kind of hit it home because a lot of people kind of push back. You know, whenever I, I share your stuff, and like, oh, he's this, he's this, he's this, and it'd be really nice to have like right. a clear the air type thing. Yeah, right, I do so, have uh, the. Uh, there is a um, the untruths about Stefan Molyneux. There's a couple of videos yeah. in that. But uh, yeah, I mean, going through the Wikipedia thing would be uh, would be interesting, and um, so uh, I'll I'll certainly mull it over, and I'll I'll take you guys' uh, thoughts on that. So, somebody else had a cool. question that they wanted to bring up earlier. Yes, yeah, well, yeah, the actual question. So, um, I'll just read my my question here. So, it says uh, I've historically supported abortion, but have taken a stance against it to a degree thanks to your philosophy and outlook. I'm stuck between two positions. I would like to talk about equality of opportunity regarding pregnancy equality of expense management with and without getting an abortion, men's rights, a sample of abortion statistics, and child support. I think this topic can be summarized by asking the question, when is abortion okay? And I kind of have like those those two positions that I'm stuck between. Um, so really hoping maybe we can just kind of like dissect and talk about it, uh, hopefully quick, but um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that has a lot to do with the moral nature of the fetus right so if the fetus is yes. the same as a child obviously then abortion is never okay uh so right. that's uh you know uh, now with regards to all of this stuff when people say oh well if the if the child is a product of rape then abortion should be um allowed i can certainly understand that listen i mean i know that there's some women in the chat here but you know for those of us who are men uh, i've not had to carry a baby for nine months and the moral horror of rape followed by insemination. And let's, you know, we're not talking about 
drunken regret, like we're talking about dragged into an alley right. with a knife to your throat, that kind of stuff, right? So the idea right. that you would then be, quote, enslaved into carrying the child of a rapist through to term, uh, that is... Um, so So would we be comfortable enforcing a woman to take care of a baby for nine months, right? Would we be willing to use force to to make her do that, right? Because that's kind of what we're doing when we're prohibiting abortion in, in the most extreme situations. Let's just start with the toughest ones, so to speak, right? So let's say that um, uh, uh, there is a child of rape. Would we be comfortable enforcing a woman to take care of that child for nine months, to get up and feed it, to, to uh, bathe it, to change its diaper to, you know, cuddle and, and all of that. And, well, I mean, I think the answer is, well, no, right? I mean, we would not be comfortable with forcing a woman to do that. Um, if the woman has the child, then she is compelled to take care of that child, right? Or, or give the child up for adoption or find some other method to get the child. But if you can't have a baby, take it home and not feed it, right? I mean, so we have no problem holding people, holding women, let's just say women because we're talking about pregnancy. We have no problem holding women liable, for murder if they fail to take care of their baby. In other words, they are compelled to take care of their baby uh, after the baby is born. But that's, of course, because there are options, right? There are choices, right? You can give the baby up for adoption. You can drop it off at a fire station or a police station or whatever, and they, they, they'll find a place for the baby. And there's no, there's absolutely no requirement to keep babies in your house if you're not rocking to the right. bliss of the situation. So with pregnancy, though, of course, there is no choice. Right, so um, the the woman uh, will be compelled to take care of the baby for nine months, which is not something we would accept after the baby was born. Right, so with regards to that situation, the fact that there is no choice is important. Now, so the question of choice is really important. So, if the woman chose to have unprotected sex, then she has chosen the pregnancy. You say, oh, well, I didn't want pregnancy. Well, come on. It's like Russian roulette, right? The guy who, who uh, shoots the bullet into his head during Russian roulette has, has chosen his death, right? It's, it's a form of suicide, right? So the- Yes. A question for you uh, yeah. before you go on with that. So, yes, that's correct. And, and in this conversation, we might be flopping, flip-flopping between pure present day and you know, UPB, preferable free market, things like that. So no, 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 hang on, hang on. No, this is all, this is, this is all, this is all epistemological, right? So this is not to do with the realm of ethics or statelessness or anything like that. So we're simply talking about if, you know, if a guy goes into a boxing ring and gets a cauliflower ear, he's chosen that risk or he's chosen that outcome, right? By going into the boxing ring. But if somebody just, some crazy person just comes up and punches you in the side of the head. You didn't choose that, right? Because you didn't put yourself into that situation. So if a woman chooses the behaviors which can lead to pregnancy, and then she gets pregnant, she's chosen the pregnancy. As does the man at that point, correct? As does the man at that point, absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, unless, of course, the woman's lying, in which case he's chosen a woman who lies, right? She says, oh, I'm on birth control or I can't get pregnant or whatever and it turns sure. out she is, right? Okay, so if the woman, though, is raped, then she did not choose the baby. Correct. And so we would not, I think, feel comfortable forcing a woman to take care of a baby that was not hers or she did not choose. Right, so that that to me is one of the big moral challenges with regards to abortion. And forget about proof at the moment. We're simply talking about let's pretend we're omniscient, right? So a woman who is dragged into 
an alley, knife to her throat. She's raped. She's impregnated. She did not choose that baby. Now, are you willing to use force to compel her to bring that baby to term? I have a tough time with that. Uh, yes, me too. And um, in terms of my positions that I'm stuck between, I'm kind, I, I'm okay with um, abortion in the most extreme cases. So you have like the right, you know, the woman's health. You have rape. You have uh, birth control and, and protection that actually fails. But this is well, no, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Those are not the same situations at all. No, no, I understand. Rape and and birth control that fails are not the same situation at all. Why? Well, I, I agree. I agree. But in both cases, the woman wouldn't want the baby. You know, no, 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 no. Hang on. Hang on. No. But if you engage in vaginal male semen orgasm sex, right? Lots of ways to have sex, lots of ways to have orgasms without that, right? But if you choose that mm -hmm. behavior or if you choose behavior, Even if you say, well, I was on birth control and so on, everybody knows that there's no 100% except abstinence, right? Correct. And so if you, again, it's kind of like, the, I hate to use the Russian roulette example or whatever, but it kind of is the case, right? If you're playing Russian roulette and the bullet goes off, you chose the death. And if you are, if you really, really don't want to get pregnant, then you should engage in sexual activity that does not involve sperm meeting an egg, right? Now, if you do engage in things... And, I mean, who, who knows, right? I mean, women say they're on the pill. Women can forget to take the pill, right? Maybe the uh, condom, yes. maybe yeah, the condom broke and uh, uh, they were just like, oh, it's too good to stop, right? Right. So if a woman is on birth control and let's say the woman's on birth control and the man's using a condom and, you know, they want to engage in sex, right? So um, one of the things that you mentioned before in past videos is you said like what's good for the tongue isn't good for the body so like the body wants sugars fats salts things like that right no no the tongue wants and, sugar oh yeah that's what the tongue wants but that's not what the body wants but not everybody eats sugars salts and fats to get fat just like i would think that not everyone has sex to get pregnant you can't so, use that analogy though because if you eat sugar it's only yourself who takes the hit Right. Uh, so once correct. you start, once you start to talk about another, what? Uh, well, unless another unless body. unless you're like unless you're together and cooking dinner and you super fat stuff and and the woman's like, yeah, that's what I want for dinner, and you you consent, you agree to dinner, and it's sugar, fat, and salt, and you guys could get fat together. Well, no, like but each person is still own. There's no third party involved. There's no fetus involved here, right? Uh, cor correct. Correct. Okay, so let's not and, use that as an analogy because that's not valid, right? Because each each person there is an adult who is making the choices about what to put in their own body and they alone will suffer the consequences positive or negative of those, of those choices. Right. You say it's a couple, but right. still two individuals. So let's go back to, are you willing to force a woman to bring a child to term when she in no way chose the pregnancy and finds the pregnancy morally abhorrent because it is the child of her rapist. Right now, well, I yeah, personally right. am not, I would I'm, say no, I'm not comfortable putting a gun to a woman's head for nine months and saying, you got to bring this, this baby to term. I've just like, cause she didn't choose the pregnancy. Now, if she engaged voluntarily in behaviors that can lead to pregnancy, that's a different matter now, but everybody needs to understand, of course, that, um, if, if pregnancy, sorry, if abortion is made illegal, then, uh, yes. guns, guns to a large degree, guns are being put to a woman's head to carry a child to term. Now you can say but it's in the defense of the fetus and self-defense is perfectly fine. Third party self-defense is perfectly fine. I get all of that. And that's, but that's, 
it's a pretty unique situation, pregnancy, right? Because, and, and this is, I think Walter Block has this evictionism thing, like let's figure out how to get the baby out as soon as humanly possible so that there's many more choices and all. And that, that would all be, be good stuff, right? So I think that the way that it would shake out in a sort of practical legal framework, because we have to step out of omniscience and into the world of reality. And in the world of reality, of course, um, a woman could just say she was raped. And that way she would uh, gain access to abortion through that, right? But then I think we would have to yes. say, but then there would have to be some sort of investigation. There would have to be some situation. But, you know, if a woman says, you know, she just goes out for a long hike, right? In the middle of nowhere. And she comes back home and she says, oh, I was, and then, you know, I don't know, a week later she says, oh, I was raped and, and it was in the middle of nowhere. And of course there's no cameras, there's no proof, there's no evidence. She doesn't even exactly remember where it was. There's no, like, there's no way to know. There's no way to know, right? So then what do we do? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a consequentialist argument about how well things can be sorted out. You could say, of course, that a woman who fails to report a rape until there's no possibility of physical evidence of the rape. In other words, if a woman's raped in the middle of nowhere, she staggers to the hospital, they take, they give her a rape kit, they test for semen and, and all of that, right? Okay, then there's DNA, there's, like, she's got all, you can say, okay, well, if the woman does not make claim of rape until there's no possibility of any proof, then uh, the, the, the accusation of rape, while we may have emotional sympathy, can't have any legal weight, right? Right. And, and like we said, like, e even if it is rape, um, it, it kind of falls for me in, in that kind of one out of 10 or less than one out of 10 scenario. Oh, no, scenario. it's way, so, way less than one out of 10 uh, in terms no, of... No, no, I know. I, I'm, so when I say one out of 10, I mean um, just the general like rape, health of the mother, like really like late term stuff that's critical and things like that. It's like way less than one out of 10 or one out of 10 or less. Oh, it's way, um, that, well, I, way, way, way I, less than I, even I, that. Now, the health of the mother stuff is also important too. I think we can certainly recognize just from a pragmatic calculation standpoint that uh, in terms of human life, right? I mean, um, an adult human life has a higher value than a fetus. In other words, if you have to choose between the two, then you would choose the adult female rather than the fetus. In other words, if the fetus is only going to survive by killing the mother, then uh, I believe that abortion is necessary because the fetus has basically turned into a dangerous organism and it's sort of, it's now self-defense on part of the mother. Right. Without and ascribing the, any moral, like, you know, you get a cancer and I hate to use this any kind of analogy this way because I don't want to say anyone to think, oh, your fetus is a cancer. But, you know, when I got my cancer cut out, the cancer died, you know, <laughs> good. <laughs> I'd like to step on its little squishy body, Right. And so if, if it's become a pathogen, so to speak, that is threatening the life of the mother, the mother has the right of self-defense in this situation without any, of course, any moral obligation or any moral condemnation of the fetus. But that's the situation from a moral standpoint. I agree with that. And like I said, like, so where I'm getting stuck is with where most of the abortions occur. And, you know, 65 65%. Or within the first eight weeks, the the rest up to you know ninety ninety five percent are before thirteen weeks. And my my positions that I'm kind of stuck between is between UPB, where it's like you know we really shouldn't uh, we need to reproduce responsibly. We need to take ownership of our decisions and not infringe on the baby's right to life. So like that's that's one core position, right? And then the other position that I've been stuck with probably up until I was about twenty six is that I always kind of believe that abortion should be able to occur 
uh, so long as the fetus is in those earliest stages of development, as long as it can't feel pain. And as you know, if we have taxation, it is, as long as that situation where the baby's being born, uh, w- you know, would pose a significant debt to society. You know, it's no fault of the baby, but the, my, my logic there is that, you know, if, if I'm going to have a gun to my head to, to pay and be taxed, I would almost rather the baby be, you know, removed in the earliest stages when it can't feel, when there's no pain, rather than be forced at gunpoint to pay to raise that child through taxation for 18 years. Well, I know, but see, no, but once, once we're in a situation of, of taxation and so on, then yeah, you may have certain pragmatic calculation in your head, but that doesn't have anything to do with ethics. It doesn't mean it's immoral. It just means it's not in the realm of ethics. Now the idea, well, can't feel pain. Well, look, you can, you can shoot someone full of morphine. That doesn't mean you get to take their head off with a chainsaw, even though they can't feel pain. Right. So, I mean, the, the feeling pain thing is a bit of a red herring to me. Yeah. So I was looking that up and, you know, like even if they're doing the science, they really don't know when it feels pain. They think it could be anywhere around 18 to 20 weeks, but maybe as early as 12. And, you know, if, if, what, what do you think or what do you um, consider if something is so small, can't feel anything, doesn't ha- hasn't started producing organs, and is just kind of there? And I know in past videos you've said, all right, well, if we just leave it alone, it's going to flourish and it's going to become a life. But is there any concern of the social cost of that life once it comes to term? Well, I don't know about social cost. Uh, in a free society, there's no such thing as social costs because costs are borne by individuals as a whole. Uh, but no, so yes. to me... But what about now? Well, no, it's the like, potential... Look, it's a, it's a human life. Right. And, and so the fact that it's a potential human life... Look, if somebody's in a persistent vegetative state, like Terry Shavo style, like her brain had shrunk to what half or a third of what it should be, and, and she's never going to come back, never going to wake up. So in general, we do, I think, have some sympathy for those who are going to pull the plug on people who are in a persistent vegetative state, right? Now, of course, when you go to sleep, yeah. you are in a vegetative state <laughs> to some degree, right? You're just lying there. But you're, but you're alive and you have organs and you've, no, no, you've no, had I get all of that. right? I get yeah, all of that. Okay. But in the moment that you're asleep, you're in a vegetative state, right? Yes. And so nobody would sit there and say, well... You know, we're going to kill that person because they're in a vegetative state, just like if they were in a coma that they could never come out of. And you say, well, no, I'm going to wake up. I'm only in a temporary vegetative state, right? But it's the same thing with uh, the fetus. Yeah. The fetus is going to grow. The fetus is only in a temporary, smaller state. It's temporary. Right. In the same way that you're only temporarily vegetative while you're sleeping, you're going to wake up. And the child, the fetus, is going to grow into a human being. I feel like, oh, yeah. And in, in those positions, I feel like there's a slight difference, right? Because I mean, you, you, I mean, however old you are, you've gone to sleep for thousands and thousands of days and you've woken up and you have a consistency and you have. Yeah. And just about all have... fetuses will get to maturity once they pass that danger window of the first trimester, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. So, so. And the other thing too, there is a sort of UPB element insofar as everyone who's alive to make those decisions themselves were not aborted. Right. So saying Correct. that I have the right to abortion when I'm only alive to make that claim because I wasn't aborted says that, you know, rights in a sense can be contradictory. In other words, if you only exercise that right because you weren't aborted, but you want to exercise the right to abort, uh, that's a little bit of a contradiction. It's not ironclad, but it's definitely something that should give people pause. Right. And the other thing, yes. too, what, what annoys the hell out of me 
and I find deeply upsetting and offensive, which I know is not an argument, I'm just being honest about my feelings, is that women say it's their body. No, it's not your dad. It can have a different blood type. If it were your body, there wouldn't be an umbilical cord, for God's sakes. If it was your body, it wouldn't leave and, and go and uh, get indoctrinated in college. <laughs> like this idea that my body, my choice, like I don't know how weirdly narcissistic you have to be to think that the baby is your body. I mean, that yeah, just and, to me is completely my, freaky. Yeah, and, and in my opinion, I, I feel like there's multiple choices that you've made up into actually getting pregnant. So saying my body, my choice, well, like you've ma- you made the choice to go to the place. You made the choice to talk to the person. You made a choice to, to go back. You made the choice to have sex. You made the choice for it not to be you know safe, and, and this is what happened. So on the UPB side, it's like, yeah, you need to take responsibility for that. And um, w- one other thing that I just kind of wanted to, to mention and ask you, so like, let's, let's say, um, let's say there's less abortions, right? Like, let's say we kind of take on these elements of morality and we're like, all right, we want to have these children, but there's a lot of people that don't want them. And uh, as you've said uh, previously, you can take them to the fire station, you can put, leave them in the hospital, you can do whatever you need to do, you can resolve your responsibility of that baby. So my question, my question to you is um is there any concern so like whenever you have a single mother one of the one of the red flags that you know it gets talked about a, a bunch is you know you don't want to raise somebody else's child because then you're promoting genes of a father that doesn't want the child left them and you're kind of promoting any concern well i, w- I wouldn't with- say that's necessarily the causality as to why you don't want to raise another man's child i mean it's one aspect of it and i don't want to get into all uh, the others but i just that's well, not should- the that's not the synchronon of the the sort of alpha to the omega of why but anyway go on yeah, so there, there's this one aspect of the father who doesn't want the child, and you're promoting the genes of the father who doesn't want the child, right? So that it's grown up. Well, and now, you're also I'm, you're you're also not promoting your genes, which are somebody who uh, thinks about uh, these kinds of things, right? Correct, correct. So when the baby when the baby is born, and when the mother doesn't want the child, and when the father doesn't want the child, and it goes to the adoption center, and I, I understand there's people that can't have children that want to adopt and things like that, but is there any concern about pushing and promoting and raising the genes of a child whose father does not want the child and mother who does not want the child. Well, I, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, those to me, they're just sort of personal considerations. And there are some people who would be very altruistic who wouldn't have any problem with that. And of course, genes don't directly determine behavior. So let me sort of lay out, let me sort of, of, sorry, go ahead. uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right on the track there. So like a I agree with you, right? So, like, the child in a very early stage of development, you can influence that a lot and, you know, things like that. Like, you turned out you turned out great, but you said that, you know, you have, like, a terrible mother and you have a child, you can abuse. But, so I feel like there's an opportunity there. Does that sound right? What do you mean for what? You mean to change things? Uh, yeah, to, get, to give the child a, a higher quality of life. And, and maybe you're pushing the genes of mother and father who doesn't want the child, but maybe you have some environmental aspect to kind of change and promote positivity rather than absent father absent mother yeah that's interesting why do you think that the gene argument is so strong for you i'm sorry you got out there why do i think the gene why do you think the gene argument is so strong for you why do i think it's strong so i've watched um some of your past content and you've kind of talked a little bit about how the genes are important right? Like the genes are important is what you promote. And ideally you would want healthy parents making conscious decisions, mother and father households and family to produce people in society that can contribute and create and, and do these types of things. And 
I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like if the child has a very rough childhood, you kind of mix the genes and the environmental factor. Apparently, um, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, like you have the genes, but then the environment factor kind of helps determine how those come out. Like you might have, what am I thinking of? Um, well, so the analogy, the analogy is something like this, that you, you know, for uh, the size of a field, you need the length and the breadth, right? And, yes. you know, a very long field could be big or small, depending on the width, right? Now, the longer it is, the more likely, the, well, mathematically, the longer it is, the more wide it is, the much larger it's going to be than a shorter field that's wider. So you need length and you need breadth, and both of those things come to play in the size of a non-square field, right? And so if you think of genes, you think of genes and environment, you can think of the length and the breadth that both of those are needed to give dimension to the field. And there are some times where genetics are going to have a very strong impact, but that's still the width, right? So it's long, but that's still the width, right? So if you have okay. a genetic predisposition towards violence, like this warrior gene and so on, right? Yes. Then if you do get abused as a child, the odds of you ending up being a criminal or being violent are much greater. In other words, you have a long field, and if the abuse is the width, you're going to end up with a big area of violence, so to speak. But if you have a propensity, a genetic propensity towards violence, but you are raised in a peaceful environment, then it's long, but it's not wide. So it may not end up with any more so, right? If somebody has a short, a small propensity to violence, but experiences a lot of violence as a child, then the field is, so to speak, short, but very wide. And so that's sort of the way that I look at it. And again, there is still the realm of free will, of free choice, of of whatever happens when you when you get older and so it's not just because both of these things are kind of deterministic in in a way right because if you say well it's genetics well we don't have really direct control over that i mean some epigenetics and so on but if you say it's environment well we don't really have much control over that and so i would say that but um yeah just in terms of the genetic outcomes I'm I'm always a little bit cautious about that kind of stuff because i'm not saying it's eugenics or anything like that necessarily to think of these things but it is a situation where you are trying to calculate social utility or social value based upon potential genetics. Uh, that to me is a very um, somewhat of an alarming place, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I can see how that would be dangerous. So I would say, like with regards to raising another man's child, um, I mean, you could talk about the genetics and so on, but in general, um, you won't have the same bond. You can't be the authoritarian figure you can't have that kind of respect so to speak the child can always pull the you're not my real dad kind of thing you get complications from the existing father uh, who may resent you parenting his children it's just it's a messy and negative and difficult and dangerous situation to get into and that's just important right so because you know if the mom is a great woman then why did she marry a guy she divorced right if the and and so if this is what the kids see, right? The kids see looking up. It's like, okay, well, you couldn't even handle the marriage. How are you to tell me how to live, right? So you're just going to, you're just stepping into a situation that's going to be rife with messy complications and all this kind of stuff. So I think those considerations would be much more front and center for me with regards to, you know, genetic spray in the community over the long period and that kind of stuff. But uh, so I just wanted to sort of jump in with that. So let me sort of break it down to you how I think it sort of plays out in a free society because as you know, I'm much more keen on prevention rather than cure. 
And so the question oh, me is, too. yeah, so, and yeah. and yeah, I think we all are here, right? So the question is, okay, how do you prevent abortions? Because if you can prevent abortions, then you don't have nearly as many to deal with. It's the old smallpox analogy, right? If you have a smallpox vaccine, then you don't have to worry about how to organize your society to deal with rampant smallpox, right? So, and if I, if I could just uh, interrupt you, I'm sorry to interrupt you. If I could just interrupt you. Um, I think that is where a lot of people get it wrong because the moment you say, if we can prevent abortions, the immediate turnaround is, okay, let's have the state, the government make everything free, you know, in, in regards to that. Oh yeah, so, no, no, of course. Yeah. I, as you know, I'm not talking about that. So, yeah, I can't so stand yeah, that. how do we, how do we prevent abortions? Well, so first and foremost, the welfare state is indirectly to some degree because if a woman gets pregnant with a man's baby and he runs off, then she ends up moving into her parents' place and they have to pay for what the father should be paying, right? Now they can chase after him with the legal system and this and that, but you know, it's still a hassle and an inconvenience and, and all of that, right? So in general, this is why parents used to be much more proactive in guarding the sexual activity of their daughters, and their sons to a large degree as well, because the sons would be held liable, shotgun marriages and all that kind of stuff, right? So once the welfare state comes along, then the parents don't have any direct financial incentive to control the fertility of their daughters. And, you know, I know this all sounds like, you know, people are immediately going to start thinking of the handmaiden's tale and under his watchful eye. But, but no, it is uh, in terms of chaperoning, in terms of raising their kids well, in terms of all of that, right? So having an influence over their daughter's fertility, um, uh, daughter's pregnancies, that all goes away to a large degree when the welfare state comes into play. So without the welfare state, of course, you have parents who themselves will be liable for a single daughter, mother, right? Single mother who's their daughter. They would end up paying those bills and paying the health care costs and paying the baby food costs and all that. And then, of course, the daughter would have to rely upon the generosity of her parents. And that could be a big, a big challenge for her, right? If the parents aren't generous or they don't get along and so on, or if she just doesn't want to be a child in a sense forever under the thumb of her parents financially and, and in terms of her environment, then she's also going to control her own reproductive choices to the point where she's not going to be getting pregnant with some doofus who's going to hit the road jack when the uh, sonogram comes back, right? So that's going to keep things, um, that's going to vastly reduce the number of abortion necessary situations, right? Because there really weren't a huge number of abortions relative to now in the past before the welfare state. And you can say, oh, well, yes, but that was before Roe v. Wade and so on. I get all of that. But even still, there was a black market in abortions and sort of back, back alley abortions and all that kind of stuff. So from that standpoint, that would help a lot, no welfare state. Because um, charities would not sit there and say, oh, you've had two babies by two different men, let us give you $10,000 a month worth of resources. Like, this is not going to happen, right? Because we don't want to encourage that, right? So that's sort of the first thing is the welfare state. Now, the the second thing that I think is really important with regards to the uh, the prevalence of abortion is the general lack of knowledge about the health impacts of abortion, which can be quite negative, the emotional, psychological attachment capacity effects of abortion are very, very much downplayed. And we can understand that, right? Because women get really angry when you do anything, as I found out on Twitter many times, when you do anything that 
lowers their romantic market value. They get really, really angry. So the media doesn't sort of point out, oh, you know, a woman who's had an abortion, yeah, there's some health risks. There could be some attachment risks. There could be psychological damage and so on. There used to be this phrase that was bandied about in the past. It kind of went out in the mid-20th century, and the phrase was damaged goods. Is the woman damaged goods? Now, damaged goods could refer to anything to, like from no hymen, no diamond, to emotional problems, to attachment disorders, to high maintenance, to uh, is she damaged goods? In other words, has she been knocked around by men, knocked up, knocked around by men to the point where she is not a suitable marriage partner? And, you know, every now and then I'll repost this information that the more sexual partners a woman has, the less stable her marriage is going to be. That's what people mean by damaged goods. And this is particularly true now that the family courts have become so dangerous to men. You really want to make sure that you're not marrying a woman who's going to sick the state on you and destroy your life that way, right? So it's really, really important now. So damaged goods was there if it was known in the past that a woman had had a back alley abortion. It wasn't necessarily the case that she would be turned into the state or she would be you know, handed over to the cops. But in general, she would be perceived as damaged goods and men wouldn't marry her. Too risky, sorry. Also being known as what used to be called the town bicycle, like any man can get on it and ride it. Being known as a slut, being known as easy. That this was all recognized as, okay, you might want this woman for a night or maybe even a weekend, but you sure as hell aren't going to settle down with her, right? So if you want more on this, although it's from a rather twisted gay man's perspective, you can look at um, a um, play, famous play called uh, Streetcar Named Desire, where this guy Mitch is going to date this woman. I think this is all prior to the welfare state, right? So this guy, Mitch, is going to date this woman. He's dating this woman, Blanche Dubois. She's kind of over the hill. But he finds out that she's been sleeping around. And he then comes and he, want to have, he wants to have sex with her. Because he's like, hey, man, you've been sleeping around with everyone else. Sure, you'll have sex with me. And she says, no, I want you to marry me. And he says, I'm not going to marry you. You're not clean enough to bring into the house with my mother. And she goes freaking nuts on him. And she basically loses her mind. She becomes violent. and it's, it's, But this is a really, really important thing, right? Because the, the sexual politics are usually not discussed in this play because feminism and blah, blah, blah. She's like one of these moth figures they're called. Like she's attracted to the light but is destroyed by it. All of that doesn't mean anything. What, what means something is the fact that she slept around. She's damaged goods. And the guy, the decent guy, he's not going to marry her. And the reason he doesn't marry her is his best friend tells him that the woman he's dating is a slut. And his wife, his best friend's wife, is really angry at him and says, How, why, why would you tell him that? And he's like, because I'm not going to let him get caught in a trap like that. She's damaged goods, and she ends up in an insane asylum. Now, that's a cautionary tale in a reasonable world about don't sleep around, but of course everybody misinterprets all of that because can't uh, can't offend the fifis of the ladies, according to some people. So, but you know, women all all kind of understand this. And I remember I remember a woman once talking to me about this issue of damaged goods and really chewing over and being incredibly worried about am I damaged goods? Am I damaged goods? 
It's a chilling thing. Am I, you know, am I impure? Am I, am I broken up? Am I now with the welfare state and, and all of this garbage that's going on, hyperfeminism and, and the white knighting and, and all of that, then what happens is this whole concept of damaged goods, a woman who's got children, single mom, damaged goods, woman who's been divorced, damaged goods, woman who slept around, damaged goods. Now, being damaged goods would mean that you've really crippled, if not erased your capacity to settle down with a decent man. So that has kind of fallen by the wayside as well. Now, in a free society, you get the reputation for these things while you're kind of damaged goods, and that's bad, so you won't engage in those behaviors. Now, the other thing, of course, is that all of this massive income redistribution from men to women has also changed things. Right, So women, when they are less economically viable in the short run because they're having and raising babies and so on, they need to be dependent upon a man. And there's not that much of a market for women. And there was, of course, this whole issue where a young woman who's just gotten married would want some big complicated job. And a lot of times the bosses would say, well, no, because you're just going to go have babies and I, I don't want to train you and then have you vanish. Now, of course, you're not allowed to do any of that because feminism and the state and all that. But when the economic opportunities for young women who want to have kids diminish, because that's the fact that they are diminished, then women are going to, who want to have kids, are going to need to be more dependent upon their husband. And that means they're going to have to get a higher quality husband, which means they're going to have to maintain their sexual virtue to the point where they're not damaged goods when they're on the dating market. So there's just a whole wide... I wanted wide, to ask you a question Hang on, hang that. on. So there's a whole wide variety of things that contribute to abortion being a cure rather than sexual responsibility being a prevention. And so I genuinely believe that in a free society, there'll be so much prevention. And of course, there will be very few rapists because we'll have to raise everyone, or we have to raise a lot of people quite well in order to get a free society. And so we're really not going to have the kind of problem with abortion that we face now. In fact, I would imagine that it's going to be less than three to 5% of what it is now. When it's gotten down that far, then we can have less... Uh, intense discussions about something. In other words, when we talk about smallpox now, or I don't know, typh typhus or whatever it is, uh, when we talk about tuberculosis now, which you know still happens from time to time, it's not quite as desperate a situation as you know 1919 talking about the Spanish flu. And so the whole point to me, philosophy says, what can we do to reduce the instance of this rather than how do we deal with endless instances of this? So yeah, that's my sort of brief thing about it. But uh, tell me what you wanted to say. Oh yeah, oh thank thank you for that. That's incredibly insightful. Um, can, can you mention? Uh, can you can you say what you said just a moment ago about how if a woman uh, wants to have children, then she needs to be dependent on a male? Well, I didn't say needs to. Well, I mean, not, she, she could have inherited a million dollars. I don't know, right? Sure, sure, uh, right. But um, my my question was going to kind of talk about that. So, like, there's just just to question that. So, there's this natural inequality between a man and a woman in that a woman has to bear a child, right? And well, and race. If a and race, yes, correct. Now, um, my, my question to you, and this is kind of the equality of opportunity, um, you mentioned before that it's very difficult for a single mother to pursue a career and raise a child. And I think that kind of speaks to... It's functionally impossible unless she draws in resources from grandparents and all that, right? Yes, functionally impossible. So because there's that biological difference in the woman needing to carry the baby, 
Is there any concern about the equality of opportunity for both a man and a woman to pursue a career? Because if every woman pursues a career, then we then we don't have any we don't have any children, or if we do, they're raised by bad, bad parents, right? And and, let, and well, single mothers at least. So, is there any concern about the equality of opportunity for a man and a woman to pursue a career equally? Well, no, I, I think they can do what they want. It's just that, in general, if women's economic disadvantages, and listen, women have economic disadvantages in the workforce, but that doesn't mean they have economic disadvantages at home, as a whole, because yeah, they have economic disadvantages in the workforce in that, you know, they don't make as much money as when, men for a variety of reasons we've gone into a million times, and yep. there does have to be some general discount for having babies, but they're economically advantaged in that men will pay their bills, right? So it's actually kind of cool. I'd rather be home raising a baby than working most office jobs because, you know, raising babies is a, is a real blast. So yes. women are not unless economically made- disadvantaged as a whole unless you don't pretend that women, that women make like 85% of the household financial decisions and spend men's money and all that, which is kind of a cool thing to do. So no, I, do, I don't have any concerns with equality of opportunity in the workforce because uh, most women do want to raise kids. Most women do want to become moms. And most employers will look at that and say, mm, you know, I really can't pay you uh, a, a whole lot because, you know, the odds are you're going to probably want to have kids. Now, if she's like 45 or whatever, and then that's just sort of a different matter or not. But no, I think most most women will want to have. But, but you know, the, the, the problem is that you've got all these ridiculous status breadcrumbs leading women into the workforce, like equal pay for work of equal value. And of course, there's no way to know any of that. Work equal pay for work of equal value, of course. I mean, if, if governments knew the value of everything, we wouldn't need a price system and communism would work. So there's no possibility for any of that to work. Government employment is another thing that draws women out of becoming moms, right? Because government employment ridiculously overpays just about everyone, but particularly women. And so that draws, again, you wouldn't have any of this garbage in the uh, in, a, in a free society. So the actual economic, it's like, okay, you can't quite make as much money and it's more fun to raise babies because your husband's making a huge amount more money and you've got a community and you've got a society and, and everyone else is doing it. So yeah, it's that's all going to play out, I think, just fine. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And like you said, with the state, I mean, I think it definitely influenced, um, you know, women to, to make potentially those bad decisions of, of not settling down and finding a dependent father. And for some people, it's poor decisions. And for other people, it's they don't see the red flags and until they get pregnant. And then the guy's just like, poof, he's gone. And, you know, it's it's a shame. Um, I, I don't know, but like in in those situations, like while we while we have a state and while we have taxation, um, just to kind of wrap this up and, and come back to the original question, uh, when when for you does the fetus be considered a child to have those rights to life? Is it the first week? Is it immediately? Is it five weeks? Like what? Oh what yeah, is no. That? I mean, yeah. As, as soon as the egg is fertilized, it's a potential human being. Like scientifically, okay. there's no question of that, right? Okay, so it's it, not going to grow the, into it, anything else, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's not going to be like. Shoe, right? right? So it's going to be an elephant, right? It's it's so yeah. The moment that the egg is fertilized, it becomes a potential human being. And okay, and I, I would want to like, I would want to extend maximum protection to that as a whole, with the caveat that if the woman didn't choose the activities that resulted in the pregnancy, then um, to me, 
uh, it is um, it is an invasive organism that she did nothing to choose. Now, a woman who engaged in those behaviors, you know, it's like the gambler. The gambler always wants to go and win, right? But the gambler doesn't get compensated if he loses, right? And so, you know, the woman who doesn't want to get pregnant but engages in vaginal penis semen sex, okay, well, she she wants to not lose her bet, but sometimes you lose well, same with the same with the men they they want sex right like they're, they're yeah they want sex and... sex yeah and they and they don't want to use a condom yeah of course it feel good right so um do you uh to, to what degree because I, I know you've talked about um you know it's my wallet my choice you know if the woman can have an ab- abortion and it's her body and her choice um it, to what degree do you hold no 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 i've never hang on I've, I've never said a woman can have an abortion it's her body her choice i just oh no 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 i'm i'm oh, in response no, I, to that I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to conflate that. What what I mean is that if the woman is going to say it's my body, my choice, then I feel like your rebuttal to that is okay. Well, it's my wallet, my choice, right? If that's yeah, yeah. If that's what right. It, so in those situations, um, because the man wants sex, and you know the woman is going to put herself at risk to a to a degree, she's responsible. Um, but do you feel to a degree he is also responsible? Well, of course he I is. I know we don't yeah. really. Of course he is. Right. So right. So if the woman wants and this is the last thing i'll ask go if the woman wants an abortion and the man wants the child or whatever then he and the, and the woman gets an abortion then she loses or he loses his opportunity to be a father but she gets an abortion there's no expense to him right now in the other situation uh if he doesn't want the child but she does and she has the child. The expenses for that child don't—they don't go away, right? So, yeah, the, the man, the man should have the right to opt out of fatherhood if the woman has the right to an abortion. But what, what about in those situations where she wants the child? Like, say, say she wasn't expecting to get pregnant. No, no, no. But, no, but I just said that he—he he has the right to opt out if she has the right to opt out of motherhood without consulting yeah. him at no cost to him, then he obviously, reciprocally, must have the right to opt out of fatherhood without consulting her. In other words, he has the right to sign away custodial rights to his child, and then he is off the hook financially. Okay. Okay, so then if she has the right to opt opt out of motherhood, there's no expenses to be had aside from paying for the abortion, right? Right. Like the, the, the child is exterminated, there's no expenses. Now, he, he can opt out, but that child is still going to get born. That child is still going to need resources. No, but no, but sorry, sorry. You're, not, you're looking at things ex post facto. Am right? I looking at it wrong? No. Yeah. So if the child, sorry, if the husband, if the father has the right to opt out of parenthood, women will be more responsible with their reproduction. Ah, uh, okay. Right. So you, you're trying yeah. to say, okay, well, here's a situation that statism has given us. How do we deal with this in a free society? It's like, well, in a free society, again, it's all, all about prevention. If the woman can't be relied upon, if the woman can't rely on the welfare state, if the woman can't rely on chasing the guy down to extract every last dollar from his wallet, then she's going to say, okay, no, you can't, you can't blow your wad inside of me. Sorry, because it's too risky, right? So no, it's going to be, uh, um, I guess they'll get better at oral or something like that, right? But uh, that's going to be... I mean, it's about prevention, right? If the woman can't get resources for the baby, then she'll make she'll take extra care to not get pregnant. It, and same for the man, right? Like, if there's no abortions, if the child is absolutely going to be born, then maybe he will. Oh yeah, desire. without abortion, he's going to be like, oh man, no, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to hop from one skank to another. I'm not going to, you know, hop on the latest carousel uh, and, okay. and do that because, uh, uh, yeah, I'll, it's, uh, it's, all, it's all bad, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's the key. Like because you said. see, men, so men can walk away. Hang on, sorry. Men can walk away from their children in part because they know the welfare state's going to take care of it. So they know um, they know they know their kid's not going to end up starving to death. They know that their their fiance, their girlfriend, or whatever's not going to end up sleeping under a bridge. So they, they can walk off knowing that the social safety net's going to take care of their kid for them, and that just weakens their commitment, right? Well, that that also might come through. That also might come back to him in the form of child support. Yes, I absolutely understand that for sure. Yeah. But if he's a real low life, like a semi criminal, and he's kind of off the grid, child support ain't going to catch him much. Right? <laughs> Never get it. Yeah. So, so yeah. other resources. They'll get way more resources from the state than they ever will from father. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think that's great. I, I really appreciate it. I think that helps a bunch, and um, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, listen. Nice, good, long. What do we do? Yeah, two hours or so. So listen, I appreciate that. I'm sorry that the first call was so long, but a very, very important one. And I'm, I'm glad that people seem to be finding it valuable in the chat. Just a last point, of course. Thank you guys so much. You guys don't get a donation pitch because you're already donors. So I really, really do appreciate your support for all of that. And uh, keep me posted about how things are going. I guess the last thing I need to do, which I'll figure out, um, is figure out how to turn off the <laughs> recorder bot. I know that there was something... But uh, I will stop my recording locally here, and I'll turn off the recorder bot. A great pleasure to chat with you guys, and um, thanks so much for all of your support. If you're listening to this outside of that, you can join in these calls. Subscribestar.com forward slash free domain. Take care, guys. Lots of love. All the best.